Well, this episode of Driving the Sea Bus, Kalen and I are going to talk to a young entrepreneur here in central Ohio, Kevin Crowley, the owner of the Locks Bagel Shop. Uh, right now they have one location in the short north. Um, he went to the uh, Culinary Institute in uh, New York City and uh, brought that skill back where he met his wife and uh, has two young children. They're making their way in the world here in Seabus, uh, being entrepreneurs in the restaurant industry. So it's going to be a great talk with Kevin Crowley, the owner of the Locks Bagel Shop. Hi, right, folks. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we're really uh, pleased today to have with us Kevin Crowley. He's the owner of the Locks Bagel Shop uh, here in the short north. Uh, welcome, Kevin, to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, uh, I just have to say, if I feel a little groggy or or, or, or if I if you hear me uh, hiccup or something, we just had <laughs> a really good uh, lunch at the Locks Bagel Shop. And uh, Kayla and I went and enjoyed uh, some of those uh, eats before we came here. We did, absolutely. I, I took on the Cuban uh, on a plain bagel, which was absolutely fantastic, accompanied with one of the best iced coffees I have had. Right, and you won against the uh, Cuban. I did, <laughs> took on I the did cable win. And you won. I did. <laughs> and I beat the uh, the pastrami on an everything bagel. It was incredible. Good. Uh, if I could have licked my fingers in public, I would have. And if I can I just say as well, the staff there is amazing. So Thank we didn't you. know what to expect when we yeah. showed up. So we just kind of parked, walked on over. We got our masks ready to go inside. And yeah. then we saw the sign on the door saying, hey, call call this number or order ahead. And we didn't even have enough time to dial the number before one of your yep. one of your staff members yep. came out and welcomed us and, and helped us through the menu. And it was amazing service. So kudos well, to you and your you. team. That's they were, they, they were it's awesome. like seven minutes and bam, we yeah. had lunch. Yeah. We yeah. were sitting out and it was awesome in the shade. And well, that, that brings up a good point. We, um, we for those that don't know, we still are not letting guests in the building. Um, at this point, it has less to do with COVID and more to do with our interior dining area now being storage for, uh, you know, the the paper towels or all the paper goods that we need to supply. It's kind of working through how we're going to find space to move things around to then allow guests back in. But we found a system that seems to to work, especially for our regulars and people that understand what's going on. And uh, the team, like you said, is is amazing. So yeah, definitely. If you're if you're looking to go to the Locks Bagel Shop, do not let that deter you. They have a beautiful patio with plenty <laughs> mm-hmm. of seating That's on right. it. You guys will be taken care of. Kevin, not everybody you know desires to to just wake up one day and be a restaurant entrepreneur or take on that uh, burden. Um, you know, it's a very hard business, as you know. Yep. So maybe just tell us kind of how it all started, how you got the idea to do it, and and why you're here today. Yeah, grew up. In, in the era of sort of the transition of PBS television shows into the Food Network, where you saw Emerald and sort of the evolution of the celebrity chef. Um, did you like watching those shows? Oh, yeah. Every day after school. Did you if watch I them with your mom or something? Or no, did you watch them? Two professionals as parents. So when I came home from school, if I didn't practice or anything, it was uh, how to kill time, you know? And it was gotcha. starting with the PBS shows, moving into the Food Network shows once they kind of evolved and um, that that legitimized the idea of restaurant ownership or, you know, chef life as a profession. Um, prior to that, it was anybody said never go into the restaurant business for whatever reason. But when I came up to Ohio State for undergrad, I started working in restaurants and immediately realized that I loved it and this was my calling and uh, started not going to school and started going to work a lot more, eventually dropping out well, not eventually, pretty quickly dropping out and going to the Culinary Institute of America in New York. From there, sort of traveled across the country working in different restaurant jobs, had a chance to work in Europe a little bit as well. My path, I thought, was in the high-end Michelin 
award, you know, die at the stove, chef-driven restaurant kind of thing. Transitioning from California to New York to take a job, I stopped off in Cincinnati for a short while to help some friends open a restaurant there where it became abundantly clear that financing a restaurant is a big challenge, especially when doing it with friends and family. So I I decided that uh, I needed to figure out how to make some cash or finance a restaurant on my own and came back to Ohio State to get my master's in business. And through that process, met my wife and she's from here. So therefore now I'm from here and uh, worked women from- Women have a way of doing that. Yes, they, they do. They do. Upon you go where the women are. Yep. A hundred percent. And mm-hmm. upon graduation, I worked at Northstar for pushing six years before splitting off and doing the own thing, our own thing. Your bride, and then you have uh, uh, two some little children? boys. Yep, a uh, little boy Jackson, who's five, and Crew, who is two and a half, and they're awesome. So that's great. We're lucky. Probably mm-hmm. spent you spent a lot of time. They play soccer, or what uh, the five year old just started soccer. The two and a half year old <clears> just <throat> got into school himself, so he's very proud to be Starting in school like his big brother. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it is. I mean, it's something new every day. So let's move into maybe a little bit about how you run your business. At one point, you decided to be in the culinary arts, and you and you went on, and you but you knew that this is going to be a tough business, right? And yeah. so, so what what work ethic did you have to? I mean, how early did the culinary institute kind of shock you with the fact that? You better love this business because it's really, really hard. I mean, anybody that works in a restaurant, even as a college job or whatever, understands that the grind is very real. And it it truly is a labor of love if you get into it and it it gives you that adrenaline rush night after night and you don't mind the hours, which is just a matter of you're either built for it or not. It just gets in you. And, And that's where I was upon graduation going into that caliber of restaurant I was working in. It's 60, 78 hours a week. And you don't think twice about it because at that level, it's as professional as any other industry where people are genuinely putting in the time to make themselves great and then eventually go out and do their own thing. So you don't think of it as anything except for the means to the end. And and it's a work hard, play hard environment and always was and always will be. Eventually you age out of that and start making bagels. You went through the school, you came back, got your MBA, decided you wanted to be here at Ohio State because that's where your wife's at and yep. started your family. What made you decide on the concept that you have now and, yeah. and bagels uh, so in general? The, the concept itself was a little out of left field. My wife went to Miami, Ohio. Anybody that's from there knows uh, Miami Bagel and Deli. And so her not sort of knowing my previous life of those higher-end restaurants sort of offhandedly said, why don't we do a bagel shop one day? And me and my massive ego at the time was like scoffing at the idea, how dare I not use all the technique or skill that I learned in all these other jobs to do something as lowbrow at the time in my head as bagels. It kind of stuck with me in this odd way as I was able to travel a bunch with Northstar and then on our own um, sort of kicking around R&D ideas of what we wanted to do. Uh, seeing this sort of resurgence in Jewish deli food and artisan bread and the scared carb movement sort of going away a little bit. We ate at a couple of wonderful restaurants and it was like, how can we tie our skill that we've learned and technique that we've learned into something that's very approachable, much like North Star does, and kind of cap- capitalize on all of all of that past. And uh, so the bagel idea came around in probably early, late 2017, we really flushed the idea out all through the early parts of 2018 and then opened in December of 2018. Really proud of the product that we use. We use, you know, the same caliber of product that I was using at Michelin Star restaurants from, 
local organic produce to the the beef and the pork that we use, the the salmon that we smoke and cure in-house. So it really is a high level, both from a technique standpoint, but also a quality of goods standpoint that we package and, and sell to the public as a very humble, um, quick and easy kind of thing. Yeah, but very exotic at the same time. I mean, I when I bit into my sandwich, I, I could tell it just wasn't your normal pastrami yeah. sandwich. I mean, we, I mean, we, we, we really smoke good. and cure that pastrami in-house. It's a two-and-a-half-week process. It's uh, no corners cut. It's the best beef that we can get our hands on. It's um, there, there are a lot of inputs that the, the end consumer doesn't realize how much love we put into these, these ingredients and these items. Well, and I think I read in, in an article, I was stalking you a little bit prior <laughs> to this, but that, and maybe this has changed, that the process of making your bagels, mm. first of all, that's like a multiple yeah, step yeah. process. You're boiling, you're baking. Yeah, it's a multi-day process because the, the dough production, the fermentation, then the actual firing, it's, uh, you know, boiled, seeded, or, you know, put the toppings on and then into a live fire oven. Um, so it's sort of a cross between a New York style and a Montreal style bagel for the, the nerds out there that might know the difference. Um, <laughs> Which I, I would like to become a bagel nerd. Can yeah. you describe bagel. the difference yeah, yeah. between a New York style yeah. bagel and so a Montreal? A New York style, which is what most of America knows as, as their preferred bagel is uh, a little bit puffier, a little bit chewier, more on the bread side. Even the ones that are done really well, they're they're in a deck oven that, you know, have their place. Um, they're delicious. We love all bagels, so we're not knocking anyone's style. And then on the Montreal style, they sweeten the water with honey a little bit in the boil kettle, and it's a little bit of a sweeter dough, a smaller dough, kind of a more stretched hole, but then fired in a wood-fired oven that really kind of gives it this charry crusty exterior kind of crunch and we're right in the middle where we're not pushing it as far as the the Montreal style in terms of the oven but we're not as dense or chewy as a New York style bagel yeah. we we really built the product to to be for sandwich use first and then for people to enjoy you know with spread or whatever secondary so and I think the article I was reading also said that when you're going through that process of making these bagels, your batches are not very big. No, we're doing two dozen at a time. There, You can only really get, well, because of the small size of the space of the restaurant, we could only fit a certain size oven in. And so we're firing constant throughout the day. So if you're there, particularly on a Saturday or Sunday where our lines are, are crazy and there's 50 people outside waiting, you're probably getting a bagel that's only been out of the oven for 15 minutes, if not coming out of the oven and into your hand pretty quick. So we've sort of trained our, our regulars that sometimes, especially during peak hours, it might be 20 or 30 minutes. Sure. But when you factor in all the other wait times at other restaurants, we're still on the faster side and and sort of programming people a little bit to understand that good food takes time to make. So. Well, it all goes back to that value proposition, right? Mm -hmm. Of, of you're knowing that, or you know that your food is, is fresh, it's made with high mm -hmm. quality ingredients, it, it takes time that yep. goes into it, and if you're willing to wait for that, it's not that big of a deal. 100%, yep. So tell me about your people portfolio a little bit, and maybe how you constructed the team that you have now yeah, and, sure. uh, and and how that impacts your business. So I was fortunate to kind of find our GM, sort of uh, leader of the team, Silas Caton, early on in the process. He was the chef at Salt and Pine and Cosecha and worked for the Harvest Group for a number of years. He was sort of looking and, and wanted a new opportunity, and I was transitioning out of North Star at the time, and a mutual friend put us together, and for whatever reason, he 
believed in this concept, this idea that I was pitching him. And, you know, I think he came on board maybe in late summer of 18 and really helped push the process along from the build out and the menu construction. Um, He's still with us today. And that's honestly one of the points of why we need to grow as soon as we can is to provide more opportunity for the amazing people that have been with us from day one or have the skill set to do a lot more than what they're doing right now with us. The rest of the team came together pretty organically through connections that either he or I had, and a fair amount of them, probably 60% of them are still with us today, pushing three years later. I have crazy talented people that are ready for more, and it's my job to to provide that for them. So. Yeah, gotcha. What is that responsibility like? I mean, It's intense, it's, yeah. uh, especially during COVID. I mean, the front end of COVID was everyone, not not just restaurant owners, but as we all know, restaurants were sort of the canary in a coal mine. They got hit hardest and quickest, and uh, with no leadership coming from, you know, government or anywhere else, it, it became, and not that's not a political statement. It's just we generally did not have guidance on what we were able to do or what we were not able to sure. do, and it was an hour by hour, day by day process. And we were very fortunate that we were able to transition to carry out only right away. But there was a very, very tough couple of weeks where, you know, I was near tears every day. It was like, I can't let these people go. They rely on us for their income, for their insurance, for their livelihood. I, I don't, I'm not in a position to just cut everybody out or continue to pay people through the process. So we just hunkered down and pushed as hard as we could to stay open and provide a lot of opportunity to the team, but also to, you know, the neighborhood that we're in uh, was severely impacted by stay-at-home orders and they became our Monday to Friday regulars, which allowed us to provide opportunity for the team that works for us. But yeah, it's a burden for sure, but it's sort of why we do it at this point in time. We're we're overstaffed. We're the opposite of where a lot of people are feeling right now in terms of being understaffed because one, we're ready to grow, but two, I, I genuinely believe if you see a good person come through your doors, no matter where you are in your business, you need to bring them on board and get them into your circle because that's only going to push everything forward for you in the long run. So we've had some new hires lately that we've known for from other jobs or whatever it may be that we just can't say no to. So Well, good talent's hard to get. Yeah, very much so. And it's really hard to keep. Mm-hmm. And when you see it, you better grab it. Yeah. And so it's not about, are we hiring now? Yeah. You're always hiring. Yeah, You're always to- <laughs> hiring. <laughs> that's and right. We're, we're very lucky, too, in that. I'm older than everybody on the team, obviously, but uh, my my phase of life with a wife and kids and, and transitioning out of that grind, I'm able to provide opportunity for people that also want out of that sort of late night bar restaurant kind of mindset, but are still very passionate about food. So we're we're very lucky that we fill a niche for really creative, really great workers who want that life, but not that life, if that makes sense. Well, so, no, that makes total sense. Yeah. Coming from a former server, mm-hmm. busboy, server, bartender, I did that back in college uh, before I dropped out and started yeah. my first business. Nice. And so I worked at a little place called Peasant on the Lane, which huh. is a restaurant in Lane Avenue Shopping Center. It was right next to the Blind Monk. <laughs> there was two Blind Monks here in town. It was a really fun time. It was not so good for my liver. You come in, you get your station going, the people are coming in, you're running around, literally running for four and a half, five hours. And then here comes 10 o'clock or 1030 and you're not ready to go to sleep. Yeah, you you're so wound up. Off. You can't yeah. can't turn it off. And uh, that, the nightlife uh, and the, this, the lifestyle of, uh, of the restaurant folks in the uh, 
in the late night is is that's not too healthy. real real to this day and um even you know even if you're somebody that's very health conscious and and you want to take care of yourself and you're living a healthy life but you're working those hours it's genuinely not possible to achieve both of those goals simultaneously so i'm home by 3:30 every day to see my wife and kids and that's also a proposition to my team that you can live a normal quote unquote yeah we're working on saturdays and sundays but who isn't in this day and age you know it's mm-hmm. just like it's just part of the deal, but we then can go to birthday parties. We can go to weddings. We can go to all the things that traditionally our industry has missed out on, especially if you're a high achieving member of this industry where you really want to push. So no matter how bad our day are, days are, you still have your evening to spend with how you will, you know. I want to unpack that a little bit. You know, we've talked a lot about the grind and and how, you know, it can be very grueling. And I feel like a lot of people my age especially are kind of glorifying the grind right Mm -hmm. now, right? Because at the end of the day, we want to go on vacations. We want to spend money. We want to have this this lifestyle that we're looking at through rose-colored glasses. What has the grind been like for you? I I want to get a little bit deep into— Yeah, I mean, I spent my 20s just exactly what I just said, missing every— you know, friend, family, uh, opportunity, weddings, this and that, um, living on different coasts than my core unit was in, um, working 11 in the morning until midnight and then doing exactly what you said about going out afterwards and you're putting in the time. If it, if it's done with, with thought and purpose, it feels worthwhile. Unfortunately, the industry is not full of people that are doing things with thought and purpose. They're surviving, and that's uh, a necessary thing as well. But that's where it can weigh on you. That's where the alcoholism. That's where the, you know, the the real trouble of of who you are as an individual comes in. And sadly, that is a common story in the restaurant business. So, the grind. I I don't think it's any different than. Any other industry, particularly for high-achieving 20-somethings that do exactly what you just said, want to make their mark at a young age. And the concept that we're in is a little bit of a pushing pause on that and how to kind of reset some some people's minds and how they can achieve but still have balance. And it's nearly impossible, but it's aspirational on our end. So I know that one of the other things that, that I read um, when you were kind of talking about uh, I think the question that somebody asked of you was, what What do you wish you would have known prior to being an entrepreneur? And I think your response was, there was a little bit more to it, but one of the things that you said was, um, you wish that you knew the emotional toll mm-hmm. that it would take on the business owner. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. When did you first realize that it was taking an emotional toll and what was that like? I was working on the concept while still working on Northstar. I think I left Northstar in August of 18 and we, it might've been a little bit earlier than that, but that whole time I'm building a restaurant with everything I have, personal guarantees on my home, personal guarantees on everything, you know? And uh, so right out of the gates, when Heartland Bank says, yes, we'll give you a loan, we believe in this idea, we believe in the neighborhood, it's from that moment on, it's a day-to-day grind in terms of, is this good enough? Are we making the right decisions? Are we charging the right amount of money? Are we hiring the right people? Will anybody care? Will anybody you know, are we crazy? Is this brand idea completely out of whack? Like, wh- where is the certainty of the clock in, clock out, day-to-day life that everyone else gets to enjoy that isn't an entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. That seems like a, a very giant ball of yarn to unwind. Yeah, how, how do you, I mean. You also have to be crazy. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, 
it's insane to want to take all your risk and bet on yourself or bet on an idea, but that's what makes this world great is entrepreneurs that are willing to do that. And that's why they deserve all the credit in the world. And then when we opened, it was insanity right out of the gates, overwhelming, not sleeping at all, just busy, busy, busy. And then had some bumps in the road in that first year, had some emotional issues come up with having some bad press our way about a no cash policy that we enacted, got through that just in time for COVID to hit. And then COVID was, I mean, like I said before, just a minute by minute nightmare for the first couple of months. And then we settled in and we are in a much better place now mentally, sort of emotionally, but it's still, you know, a day by day, even no matter how well your business is doing, you're scared that the next day is going to be the one that puts you under for whatever reason, especially in these days and age, you know, it's- it gets you out of bed, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Every day you wake up and you have that pit in your stomach. Yeah. What am I, what did I miss? Yeah. And it's not like it stops. I mean, one unit isn't enough to achieve the goals that we want. So here I am ready to do it again. Am I ready? I don't know. It's insanity all over because here we are leveraging everything we have one more time as soon as we have the opportunity to do it. You have to have irrational belief in yourself. You have to have irrational belief in your concepts and your people. Kind of block everyone else out and just go. And we've been lucky, knock on wood, to let it work once. And hopefully we we have the same luck on the next go. We were actually talking about something that that you mentioned on our way over here, which was public opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't mind sharing a little bit more about you know, some of the flack that you guys caught for the cash policy. Do you mind sharing a little bit? Yeah, about which is exactly it the was, opposite of a lot of other restaurants. Well, too. now, I mean, now, I mean, with COVID, it's, yeah, it, it's it, mainstay now. Exactly. It's, but it's before that, everywhere. it was fight the interchange, right? Yeah. We didn't accept cash for, I mean, we didn't have a phone. We didn't, we, we said no to a lot of things early on. And the cash thing was a decision that I made literally two days before we opened to streamline operations as best we can to, understand that this is where the world is going, maybe just a little earlier than the rest of the world saw it. And a individual in the community brought up a very good point that uh, we are a low cost option, even though we're not, we get knocked for price all the time, but our entry level item of 225 for a bagel, there is a portion of the community, especially in the short North, especially pre COVID short North that were lower income that may not have access to credit and may be a cash based individual. And that's a point of view that I did not take into account when I was doing it. Yeah, I was firing off 25 different decisions every few minutes, and uh, this is one I did not give the proper time to think through. And How did you handle the scrutiny? Uh, It was brutal. It it was, at the time, my second kid was being born. It was a lot of negative backlash, the, the kind that we're all used to seeing, unfortunately, in today's era, where it was really harsh words said about, myself, our business, with no one ever taking the time to ask or understand where we were coming from. Eventually, we did have a sit down with a few of the people involved, including a broader spectrum of people that I asked this individual to bring on board and have kind of just a an open door conversation about what was what was meaningful. It was literally the day my second child was born. I'm thinking of this instead of that and it was like just too much to bear and we changed the policy really quick and quietly it was it was not worth fighting that fight for it wasn't a thing we were gonna I mean I didn't care about it that much it was just a process to streamline things and it got so out of hand so quick and a lot of it was probably self-imposed I probably made it a lot bigger than it actually was because you're living it it's 
it's everything that well, we people, are. And, <clears throat> when people talk about you, though, these are people, you know, social media, everybody's, everybody's right on social media, yeah. right? I mean, and so there's a lot of brave people on social media. Mm. I, you know, tell them to come up to your face and talk to you yeah, about that. You know well, I mean? luckily, we did have a, a, a good conversation with a number of folks who were pretty adamant about our stance and we came to an under understanding and we changed the policy and we moved on. And yeah. But I think that you also just highlighted something super important and it, it goes back to what you said about realizing the emotional toll that comes with it is that you're human. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are businesses have policies, but guess what? There are humans behind that that yeah. have to decide what those policies are. And the point that, that I love that you brought up is Look, my kid was born today, yeah. and I'm too busy worrying about a freaking credit card and mm -hmm. a, a point of sale machine, and I'm not focused on this. And yep. you know, I just think that that's it's really sad, but yeah. it's also a really uh, sobering thought for entrepreneurs. Of, yeah. of look, there are no days off. I tell people that about my dad all the time, and and I'm kind of following in those footsteps of there are no days off when you're an entrepreneur. You're working whether no. you even realize it or not. 100. percent And those decisions that you make though with your business though are your business's decisions to make. Yep. I mean, so the consumer has a choice too. You know, go to another bagel shop. How about that? Or, or do something else, right? I mean, so we have, uh, well, you have to be sensitive though. I think that, I, I really think that the, the social media aspect and the, and the, and the, the things that people are, are willing and doing out there, you know, because they can and because, you know, it's not even their fight, but they're yep. going to get into it anyway because they can. You know, I just really think that that's unacceptable in today's yeah. society. It, you it know, made so. us better in a lot of ways. It made me a lot more resilient. It made me understand to genuinely think through decisions a little bit quicker than I ever have in my life. I'm I'm a pretty rash actor. I go where my heart tells me pretty quick. And and at this stage of life, it's uh, time to, to double and triple check everything and bring in my blind spots, you know, find my blind spots and, and find the people that can help me through them. Um, which is something that I almost can't even believe I said out loud at this point in my life, but <laughs> it took a long time to get there. And, right. and so yeah, it's we been helpful. We have a, I have a life coach guy that I work with. He likens it to, to potholes in the road. Like, you know, you have a choice of whether or not you're going to drive into these potholes. Is it worth it? Do you really need to do that? You know, mm -hmm. are these, and, and so being able to take some of these situations and, and the other nice thing about small businesses, you can immediately turn that around, right? Yep. So the next day you could open up and not have that policy mm -hmm. and therefore, you know, battle's over, you know, okay, we got the message. This is the way we're headed, you know? So it's, uh, uh, that's the nice thing about small business though, is that you can pivot immediately, but a lot of small business owners, it's a great point. Don't think about some of the things that they do and what, and what the, the systemic ramifications might be, mm -hmm. even For though sure. that one might be, you know, not as uh, earth shattering as, as some other policies that yeah. you could enact. There, there was also at the time a national conversation around cashless policies as well that just so happened to coincide with what we were going through. It made it all the way up to the Philadelphia Supreme Court um, or the, I'm sorry, Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Uh, there were a few national brands that were doing it. And then COVID wiped that all out anyway. So Now the uh, COVID effect, just, I mean, did you do anything differently in the COVID effect, we talked about you keeping people and, and retaining your talent yeah. and caring we didn't for lay, them. We didn't lay anybody off at all during the COVID, early COVID times or subsequently since. We've only brought more people on board. But our business is, we quickly adapted before DeWine said that nobody could come inside or that full service was going to get shut down. We shut the doors and just said, this product, we're very lucky where we're located. It kind of acts as a drive-through. The product itself 
is a carry-out focused item. Like people don't really, you know, go tell me where you're sitting down and having a bagel or a bagel sandwich anywhere, especially like in New York or anywhere. It's it's a grab-and-go item. So we we're very fortunate that the product lent itself to carry-out. And then, and then we just pivoted as quick as we could, and that was just, just that. It's just how fast can we absorb the information we're given and how fast can we make a, a responsive decision that we think is best for us. And uh, we found our niche, and that's, I'd say, one-third of the reason we're not open today is still from COVID and policing people's political beliefs. One-third is uh, the storage issue I spoke about earlier, and then one-third is we've found our logistical pinnacle. We we are better now than we were before. Do I miss having guests in the building and taking care of people and showing off a beautiful space and creating a vibe? Absolutely. But luckily we can still kind of do that with our patio while the weather is still okay and gives us a little bit of time to make the decision on what we're going to do next. I'm seeing a trend here and it's that you guys are kind of two steps ahead of a lot of things that are going on in the world right now. And one of those things that we haven't mentioned yet is is your marketing tactics. Mm. Um, and this is another thing that I learned by reading about you guys is really you have a website now, mm-hmm. but it started out with just Instagram yep. and social and, media marketing. And honestly, we should be doing more than we have like mid, let's say, I'd have to look at when our last posts were. We used to post fairly regularly, but we were very fortunate that we stayed busy to the point where we kind of stopped posting and just started taking care of the people that were coming in. And we'll we'll repost stories constantly. We're on your, you know, we're on your story thread all day, every day. But actual content generation, we're pretty limited on. We're sharing everybody's posts about us, and uh, we'll get back to it, especially as we launch a second store. But it you seems know, like it's working. Though. It is. We we're very we were on it early. Yeah, all through and Instagram. Is your but, wife the one who runs yep, the Instagram? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And now we've incentivized the team to capture some great photos, and then we pay them for the photos. And but early on, it was all her. And yeah, life gets in the way, and you forget sometimes. And and then we're like, oh yeah, we should post again. And honestly, the dragging out of the posts and the length of time in between the posts, we see a lot more engagement when we do. So I'm sure there's something to be learned there as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's all about algorithms. And I'm mm-hmm. sure one time in the future, we should have Erin come on here and give us all her social media tips. But, you know, I'm pretty sure how it works is is if you don't post for a while, the minute you do, it's at the top of yeah, everybody's exactly. feed because it's like, hey, Caitlin hasn't posted in yeah. three weeks. Um, no, that's super interesting. And if you ever need any content, I did get a really great picture of the chief eating his pastrami, yeah. making happy noises. Let's go. So oh, yeah. let, me, let me know if you want later. that. Well, what I did, I just looked at your Instagram page. You know, it seems like your customers are taking the ball they, you know and they're yeah. they're saying look at this check yeah. this out look at this place you know that's exactly what we did first thing we did we got our sandwiches we're like holy crap i'm like wait wait this. wait <laughs> take a picture phone eats first right? yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and i mean with the growth around the patio like the 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 vines that are there and when we first walked up to the space before we took the lease it was like what is this and now it's the location and that kind of atrium out front has become oh, it's a beautiful you know, space, like our marquee. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. All you so. need is a mural on the side of the wall, and you yeah. guys will be yeah, we, location. Right. Gotta hook you guys up with some of the local artists. Yeah, exactly. So, any uh, other uh, aspirations of different? Uh, themes for restaurants or anything. So you um, went to the Institute, right? And so you, you did bagels and yeah. you're doing well. You're looking at another location there. Any aspirations to be yeah, creative so with anything else? Part of the pitch to get the amazing people we have is to eventually, ideally, we'll have two or three of these these bagel shops that are generating enough revenue to support the ideas of the team around us. And, you know, if Silas decides that, which Silas is a foster parent, he and his wife 
just adopted twin seven-year-old girls and they foster children all the time. And that's changed. That's That's changed since he joined our team, right? So his life goals have changed. So maybe he doesn't want an evening focused restaurant at this point in his life. But three years ago, that's exactly part of the pitch that I used to get him on board is that I want to be sort of the restaurant management group behind him and his ability and push him out on the forefront and get him his own restaurant with our backing in terms of HR, logistics, all that kind of stuff. We still talk about that kind of concept of structure amongst our other team members. Right now we're looking for location too. If there happens to be 1,100 square feet attached to it that we have to sign on just to get, maybe there'll be another concept that spins out to utilize that space. Um, We were really close on a different evening focus concept that I think would do really well in the neighborhood. That'll keep a little bit close to the vest in case it does actually come to after locks two comes up. I'm passionate about food. I'm passionate about service. I'm passionate about wine. Um, that's the particularly the wine side of things is I don't get to utilize that in my professional career right now. And so there will always be something tugging at me to do some sort of dinner focused um, restaurant that I'm pretty comfortable with my family life right now. And uh, uh, that might change things if I did that. So yeah. I don't know. Well, Life's a long time. Yeah. If, if you open up a wine bar, let me know yeah. and I would be happy to come and sample some yeah, before you, you guys open. <laughs> yep. <laughs> One day. That's right. Any uh, final thoughts you have? If you had to give uh, advice, you know, to other people thinking about, you know, being an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and you got to remember that, um, you know, we, people tell themselves, you know, when they get, when things get overwhelming, the first thing they say is focus on what you can control, mm-hmm. right? Well, if you're an entrepreneur, you control it all. Yeah. Except well, for the world you around pretty you. Pretty much control nothing, but you can pretend that you control it all. Well, yeah. that's true. That's true. But I, I mean, you you do though. You're you're I mean, you're only you're betting on yourself and yeah. you're betting on your abilities and your hard work and and all those things. If you had to give some advice to young entrepreneurs out there, uh, what would it be? Take the leap. I mean, it took me I, I told friends and family that I was like the guy standing at the edge of the cliff just waiting for somebody to push me over the edge to do my own thing. Anybody that's really close to me has known that that was my end game all along, and it took me until this later stage of life to actually do it. If I could give myself, my younger version of myself, more advice, it'd be like, move faster, go quick, make the mistakes, learn from them, and and pivot, and fail fast, you know, and uh, and just keep pushing. Thanks for yep. coming on the podcast. Uh, folks, get out there to the Locks Bagel Shop. It's... Uh, a lip smacking good. You're going to like it a lot. And uh, Kevin, thanks very much for coming Thank on you. the podcast. I'll give, I'll give a shameless plug to Natalie Hay, who is my uh, my banker at Heartland. And I, I'm not sure if we actually talked about it, but when we were first trying to get a loan for the restaurant, we went down the road with another big bank. They needed a lot more from me and my time than when I walked into Heartland and met Natalie and it was just easy and quick and just painless. So big plug to Natalie. She's yeah. been, she's been great. Well, thanks for saying so. She's a, she's a keeper, a key team member of ours and appreciate you recognizing our business model and, and that, uh, we want people just to, to know that relationships matter. They should mm-hmm. bank on community banking because that's mm-hmm. where it's at. Yep. Thanks for coming on uh, the show and driving the bus. Of course. Thank you. 